values, and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, I appreciate you spending some time here with us on the show. Um, I want to kind of do a compare and contrast. Um, There has now been loan forgiveness. The Biden administration cancels $4 billion in ITT tech student loans. This has been a part of their plan on, on student loan forgiveness. The comparison to this is black farmers are upset. The Black Farmers Organization is upset because in the Emergency Relief Farmers of Colors Act passed last year with the American Rescue Plan, it provided $4 billion in debt forgiveness to farmers of color from the U.S. Department of Agriculture. But then some white farmers got upset and said, you can't forgive loans based on someone's racial identity. And lawsuits began. But I look at this and I think, wait a minute, you are, this is the federal government that is just forgiving this kind of loan to these students. And I look at this and think, well, what about the other people? Uh, I mean, I mean this very sincerely. Uh, I took out a $50,000 second mortgage on my home to grow my business. Now, it was a horrible thing to do. You know, when the when the market crashed, I was in huge amounts of debt. I mean, it's not the smart thing, smart way to do things. But as I speak, there are small business startups right now happening, going out and talking to venture capitalists or going to the Small Business Administration, going to the SBA with a business plan and a growth plan to borrow money to start up or expand their businesses. Are they going to get forgiveness if something goes sideways? And the answer is they're not. And I'm not saying that higher education is a bad thing. I'm not saying that higher education is less important than anything else, but it certainly isn't more important. I think for many, many years we have let young people down. And what I mean by that is the college education's value has diminished while the cost of that college education has increased dramatically. So there's a lot more debt and a lot less return on the investment. And we haven't done anything to help kids decipher what they're going to want to do after high school. You know, um, you've heard me talk often about the CTEDs, Career Technical Education Districts. Uh, CTEDs are what we would classically call trade schools. West Mech out in the West Valley. You've got uh, EVIT in the East Valley. And um, they train young people. They have adult ed programs as well. But they train young people in a trade, in a skill. And there are so many different things about them that uh, people get wrong or they have assumptions that are wrong. Number one, that these are kids that – aren't going to qualify to go to college. Well, that's not true. Two-thirds of the kids that graduate from EVIT, and I know this as a fact, about two-thirds of the kids that graduate from the East Valley Institute of Technology with whatever skill they've gone to learn while they are there, two-thirds of them take that skill but go on to higher education. They go on to college. Some of them go into the military with a skill set so they get you rank at the very beginning. Um, And then some of them do go straight into the workforce, making really good money, having gone in their high school years and using their time for elective classes to go to a CTED where they are learning a skill. And, you know, uh, my best relationship is with EVIT. I know that organization. I know that school the best. And 
They have everything from a culinary school, which is an amazing restaurant, by the way. They These kids are learning a skill set so young in their careers, and then they're getting jobs in their career field. So when they graduate from high school, they have got an established relationship with restaurateurs and a great reputation for the skill set they have. Um, they've got a broadcasting school, basic firefighting, all the classic trades, air, air conditioning, electrical, plumbing, all of it, carpentry, all of those, auto mechanics, diesel mechanics, auto body, uh, and I know I'm leaving out so many different ones, cosmetology, EMT, and so you imagine young people and the jump on the workforce they get. Where I think we're letting students down is not spelling out those options, because I'll tell you another thing, the welding program. Um, I was there for uh, for an exhibit. They were doing their kind of a, a day where their fair where people come out and kind of just see everything they do. And they had their adult ed welding program. They had their high school welding program. And they had to build a fire pit, I think it was. They had to build something. They had to design it. And then they had to build it with a set of blueprints they drew, and they had to make sure that the dimensions were as close to what the blueprint says as possible. So they had to do a design and build. And the work and then they were they were judged, and I think they sold them, and they sold them for a lot of money because they were such high quality. But when you take a kid that's in high school and you show them this is what your geometry homework is gonna get you in your skill set as a welder. This is what your algebra homework is gonna get you in your skill set when you're an electrician. This is where the practical application of the things you learn in your classes means something in your life going forward. So we're going to forgive student loans, but we're not going to forgive the loans of the people right now that are running their businesses out of their house and trying to get their head above water so that they can grow. We're not going to forgive that debt. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't think we should forgive any of that debt. And I was at a time in my life where if somebody had thrown me a lifeline and forgiven my debt, I would have been, oh, I would have been ecstatic. But you can't you, – we, this is a land of opportunity. It's not a land of guaranteed outcomes. There are going to be winners and losers. There are going to be successful people, and there are going to be people that fail. And just because you fail once doesn't mean you're going to fail forever. But we can't bail everybody out. Now, if the government, like we did if now when it comes to farmers, if the government is saying because of water restrictions and other things you can't farm your land, so we are stopping you from farming, that's a different level than saying you just aren't a good farmer. But we're taking kids that went to the wrong school, they chose poorly, or they were duped or whatever else, and we're going to forgive their loans, we're going to forgive student loans, but what about the poor slobs out there that are struggling with a business startup? What about those people? Are they not as valuable? And so then you're going to take the money from successful people and their tax dollars, and you're going to bail out the people that weren't successful, even in situations where it wasn't fair. How is it fair to take from somebody else to do it? Because it isn't free. Somebody's paying for it. And someone else explained to me how any of that, any of what I just described to you that is happening or could be happening, is going to reduce our deficit and reduce inflation. The answer is, and we know the answer is, it isn't. It will not. And in the end, we all have to do what's best for the country. Coming up in a moment, your opportunity to jump on board with the Phoenix Children's Hospital and our Giveathon, and you're going to hear a couple of great stories of giving and a couple of great stories of what the Phoenix Children's Hospital is doing. All that's coming up in a couple of moments. 
The Giveathon for Phoenix Children's is presented by your Valley Hyundai dealers and the Auction Indian community. KTAR News 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Giveathon on the Mike Broomhead Show. Thanks for being here. This is an emotional week for everyone. And the, the Giveathon for Phoenix Children's Hospital is a, is a collaboration. It is us in the media here at KTAR News and over at Arizona Sports. And it is people like you. And it's great corporate partners getting together and making a commitment that financially we're going to support the great work at Phoenix Children's Hospital to make sure that they continue that great work. Costs over $2 million, almost $2.7 million a day to keep this hospital and all of the things that they do going. That's why with such an expensive proposition. We are always going to be on this week asking you to give as much as you possibly can to this great, great cause. Before I give you a chance to do that, here is another great check presentation from a corporate partner, the people at Cobblestone Auto Spa. Hello, everyone. On behalf of our company and team, Cobblestone Auto Spa, we are super excited and happy to participate and present with Phoenix Children's Hospital, our continuing long-standing eight-year relationship of taking care of kids and family and community. And we are excited to present our donation today. Which is this $10,000 check to the Giveathon. Our team members love giving back to Phoenix Children's and the community, and our customers love getting involved and helping out as well. We truly get excited about supporting our community, and our whole company and team are behind this strong and powerful effort. Help Phoenix Children's reach their $2 million goal by donating today and calling 602-933-4567. On behalf of Cobblestone Auto Spa and our entire company and team, thank you, Phoenix Children's, for providing the best health care for kids and their families in the whole Phoenix community. Just another great example of what they do in the corporate world, and Cobblestone is such a great partner as well, and a big thank you to them. Um, the reason we do these, these stories of hope, and it's sponsored by Madame Homes. Uh, how about this? Getting a driver's license is a big milestone in any teenager's life. For a parent, it's a milestone that comes with some concerns, but getting a call that your son has been involved in a serious car accident is one of your worst nightmares. This is Colton's story. I'm Tara. I'm Colton's mom. And I'm Colton, and this is my story. I was heading home from the lake, and my back tire blew. His car rolled about ten times, and on the third roll, he was ejected through the front windshield head first. I blacked out on the first roll, and then I woke up on the ground. Couldn't move my legs, and I was pretty beat up. I knew I was paralyzed. So damn easy to say that life's so hard. Everybody's got their share of battle scars As for me, I'd like to thank my lucky stars That I'm alive and well They were pretty close, so I was able to get there before the helicopter A horrible feeling, because <laughs> you don't know... Um, Is he going to make it? He grabbed my hand and told me he was sorry because he didn't have a seatbelt on. (laughs) And uh, I gave him a kiss and he told me how much he loved me and I told him how much I loved him and I just held him for a minute and that was pretty much all we had time to say. And today you know that's good enough for me.
I was flown to PCH. His leg had been degloved. He had a broken back and then an aortic tear, and it just kind of kept piling on, and the nightmare just got bigger and bigger, and the blessing was was that he was alive. I mean, he just, every doctor that came in said that scientifically he, he never should have survived that car accident. Stars are dancing on the water here tonight It's good for the soul when there's not a soul in sight This boat has caught its wind and brought me back to life Now I'm alive a goal when, and that was that I wanted to walk across the stage for graduation to receive my diploma. I'll be walking across the stage in two weeks. It's um, amazing how far he's come. Hopefully I don't fall. Today's the first day of the rest of my life. Now I'm alive and well. Yeah, I'm alive. hospital is amazing. If he would have gone anywhere else, there's no way he would have survived. That's where he needed to be to live. He's going to walk again. He's going to do some amazing things in this life, that's for sure. What a what an amazing example of courage, strength, uh, both by this mom and by this young man who has now got the goal of walking across the stage and graduating and doing those things that every kid wants to do. And this is what why we are doing this. This is why we are out here trying to raise money and awareness for Phoenix Children's Hospital. That sound right there means it is time to match. Sagicor right now is the company that is matching with us right now, meaning every dollar you donate is doubled. You are going to double your investment in Phoenix Children's Hospital by calling the Desert Financial Phone Bank number right now, 602-933-4567, 602-933-4567. That's the phone number to call. If you'd like to do it from your smartphone, you can just text GIVE to 411-923, and you'll have a link right there and you can donate. Please join us. It truly is an opportunity of a lifetime for us to do this and partner with Phoenix Children's Hospital. I want to give you an opportunity also to become a champion of hope. And here's what a champion of hope is. You commit to donating $20 a month or you can just you know, give them the full $240 up front. Being a champion of hope means that you are going to commit to that donation. Then a bear, a teddy bear will be given to one of these children in your name. I have been, had a chance to deliver those bears. It means so much to the kids. It means so much to the family. You can be a part of it for $20 a month. And for your donation, you'll receive your choice of a kid's pass at Wildlife World Zoo or a cobblestone car wash. That's what's available becoming a champion of hope. Thank you in advance for your donation. Thank you in advance for your kindness and for you raising awareness and funds for this great, great cause. All right, coming up in a moment, we are going to shift a little bit the numbers at the border, a little bit better in July than they've been in the past. We're going to talk border commitment once again next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. 
Hey, thanks for being here. We give frequent updates about the border. We know that a couple of the structures, a couple of the storage containers were toppled over at the border. They say it was done by human beings. The governor said, I think we've gotten their attention. We'll see how they shore that up to keep that from happening again. But there has been structures put up to block the gaps in the border fence down in Yuma. In the month of July, uh, uh, interactions are... um, The stops of people at the border were down 3.8% from the month of June, just under 200,000. As a matter of fact, 199,976. So in effect, 200,000 people were stopped at the border in the month of June across the southern border of the United States. Authorities stopped Mexicans, Guatemalans, Hondurans, El Salvadorans less in July and then in June. Mexico has agreed to take people from all of those countries who are expelled under Title 42, and and they are taking them in Mexico. Now let's talk about the other side of this that we have talked about with the national security element. And a little bit of how this is written is is confusing to me, um, and I'll, I'll explain why in a moment. The CBP, or our, uh, Border Protection, uh, enforcement statistics for fiscal year 2022, which have seen more than 1.8 million Border Patrol encounters with border crossers, revealed that 66 people have been apprehended so far that were on the terrorist screening data set used by the FBI. Encounters of the watch-listed individuals at our borders are very uncommon, underscoring the critical work CBP agents and officers carry out every day on the front lines, according to the report. The 66 who were apprehended were on the terror screening data set is more than double from the previous five years combined. In 2017, encounters with those on the terror watch list were rare, just two. The number rose to six in 2018, but down to three in 2019 and 2020. And in fiscal year 2021, there were 15 encounters. The rise in these suspects correlates with the rise in overall border encounters. So there is a term that's used by Border Patrol or, you know, the people that patrol the borders and and used by people in that business. And they call them gotaways. These are not people that they've had interactions with. So much like and I'm going to lay out a case to see if you think it's it's feasible. And here it is. If we have uh, 200,000 people that are interacting with Border Patrol agents or ICE agents at the at our borders, if there's 200,000 in the month of, of July, um, and what they are doing, we know that the cartels, because I have another story here about another interaction, 150,000 fentanyl pills seized in a Chandler drug bust, according to DPS. We also know that what they are using is using people coming across the border illegally as a diversion so that they can have other people that are not going to interact with, with the border agents. And they're going to sneak into the country carrying fentanyl pills. They are using the people that are turning themselves in and applying for asylum as a distraction, as a diversion to get their drugs in. So if they're doing that with drugs, don't you think that that's also being done if there are people that would not be allowed into the country because they're on the terror watch list? So these are the people they caught. What about the gotaways? What about the the numbers of people that they know that they did not catch? The gotaways. This has been a national security concern for a long time. We are watching, and I watch as much as anybody else does, what Russia is doing in Ukraine, how now the Russian and Chinese military are going to be doing some combined maneuvers together. That the uh, the Chinese Navy has sailed into some areas and docked against the world's request. They have also put out warnings against the American Navy. 
and where they should not go into the Straits of Taiwan. There has been an uptick in the rhetoric between those nations and us. And the whole world is watching as if somehow there's going to be a naval battle. There might be a nuclear war. There might be a lot of these other things. And their attention is certainly rising between us, the Chinese, and the Russians. We know the Iranians have tried to kill Americans in our country. Well, why are we not as concerned about somebody coming across – it could be the northern border of the U.S. illegally. Somebody sneaking into this country across our porous borders that are part of a sleeper cell or a cell of terrorists that are looking to do major damage. Did we not learn our lesson after 9-11? And for anybody out there that says, wait a minute, they had visas. They did, but they overstayed their visas. That there is an issue that isn't just at the border when it comes to immigration, that we have a huge problem of people overstaying visas and not ascertaining what people are doing. That when we look at those people that, that, that had, did the attacks on 9-11, these were known – they were known to us. And we had to do a better job of intel gathering. So the FBI has taken a lot of heat lately for the raid down in Mar-a-Lago. But the FBI was repurposed, and the FBI was repurposed as an anti-domestic terrorism agency. Their job is to locate and watch people on the terror watch list, people in our country that are in this country that are wishing to do us harm. And we have to do a better job, I think, of helping organizations like the FBI by shutting down the border effectively because now we've had more people. Sixty-six people were caught. That doesn't include gotaways. Does that not – aren't people not concerned? You know, I'm not trying to just breed fear. I'm trying to breed common sense. Phoenix, Arizona is not far from the border. We've got some we've got a target rich environment in Arizona. We've got the Hoover Dam. We have got Palo Verde nuclear power plant. We've got a very big federal courthouse in downtown Phoenix. We have a lot of places that could be targeted that would be targets, symbolic targets if people wanted to harm this country like they did on 9-11 when they went into the World Trade Centers and they went into the Pentagon and everybody believes they were trying to get into the White House or the Capitol building with one of those planes as well. They were sending a message to the pillars of who we are on 9-11. The financial world, the World Trade Centers were symbolic of that. Our military at the Pentagon, whether it was the Capitol or the White House, our government. And when people are sending a message like that, you have to think, are they looking to send the world another message? And we should be doing a better job of aiding the the FBI and other agencies by shutting down these borders and making sure that we know who's coming and going. I'm a big believer in revamping the immigration system, but we have to have border security. The tension in the world, the raising of the rhetoric, all the other things that is happening right now, why aren't we making sure we're more secure? It's a good question, and I don't think it's a partisan question, but it's a good one. Record homicides over the weekend. What does this mean for public safety? We're also going to have a great conversation with someone from Phoenix Fire. Response times are way up. And what does that mean for the average Phoenician? We'll talk about both of those coming up in just a moment.
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here. If you haven't subscribed to the Mike Broomhead Show podcast, please do it. It's very simple to do on any device that you have. Never miss a minute of the show. Listen at your convenience. All advantages. The Mike Broomhead Show podcast brought to you by my good friend Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty East Valley. Get more money selling your home. Go to carolhasthebuyers.com. That's carolhasthebuyers.com. Earlier this morning, we had a conversation about public safety with uh, um, with PJ Dio is his name. He is a uh, Phoenix firefighter. PJ PJ Dean has been with Phoenix Fire for a long time. He is a representative of the Phoenix Firefighter Unit, and we talked about the massive growth that we have seen and response times and how they've gone up dramatically because of that population and because of the growth that we've seen here in Arizona. Listen to a little bit of what he said. Uh, we've had a, you know an exponential amount of growth in the city of Phoenix. We've probably had three hundred thousand people move here uh that's equated to about a 49 percent increase in call volume and also an 80 percent increase in our uh, average response time uh and that's all with about a two percent increase in resources to combat that so we have this sort of divergence between resources uh and demand and it's gotten to the point of being critical where we feel it's just flat out unsafe and clearly not going to get better unless uh some pretty aggressive actions are taken so what he said in a couple of different uh, places and ways is that we are seeing growth both in width and in height, that we are growing up in some places, but we are also growing out. We are a very wide city in Phoenix. Response times were about five minutes. It took five minutes for a truck to get to your home for a medical emergency or a fire. Five minutes back in 2010. That now, that average time now in Phoenix is nine minutes, almost double, nine minutes. When you see an increase like that, especially you think about a medical emergency, um, I had my my former mother-in-law was living with us and she's since passed on was such a a great lady. Uh, She was living with us when I was married and um, great, very nice lady. And I think it was a Saturday or a Sunday morning, um, she had a stroke in the house. And the fire department was right around the corner from us. I mean, it was um, a mile away. Not even a mile away, I don't think. Um, we could actually hear the sirens and hear the fire truck leaving the firehouse. That's how close it was. And that was a, one of the longest waits. It's one of the most helpless feelings you have when you have somebody with a serious medical emergency and that time you have to wait. Well, it makes sense. The faster that the professionals can get to the patient, the better chance they have of a good outcome. And if you have a fire in your home, and that's one of the things I asked him about was the growth in that time frame. If you have a fire in your kitchen and it takes them five minutes to get there versus another four minutes and nine minutes, what's the difference in response time? Fires grow unbelievably fast in a very small amount of time. And that's actually increased in the past few years because they've started to use a lot more synthetic materials, a lot more lightweight materials in construction and in uh, uh, furnishings of homes, etc. So fires burn much hotter, much more rapidly. They're much more dangerous. And now you look at the other side of public safety and policing, and Maricopa County right now has a record number of open homicide cases going on because of six people being murdered over the weekend. A couple of them in Mesa, there were some in Phoenix, um, and other cities. We are seeing an uptick in violent crime. We know that it's not just the Phoenix Police Department that is dramatically understaffed. We know that DPS is understaffed, the Sheriff's Office is understaffed, and agencies across the valley are, are fighting the same fight of being understaffed. So when it comes 
comes to public safety, you and I know the people that we elect to powerful offices, whenever they want to run for office, they run to organizations. They run to police. They run to fire. They run to these organizations and they ask for an endorsement. They all want to be police and fire endorsed. They all want to say public safety first on their campaign signs and on their campaign literature when they're asking you for your vote or for your donation or both. But in practice, is this really what's happening? You know, the the firefighters union, and I haven't spoken a lot about firefighters, but they haven't spoken out much publicly. The police department has. Phoenix PD has been very vocal in their staffing issues over a long time. Their organization is called PLEA, the Phoenix Law Enforcement Association. It's the biggest uh, union that represents street cops. And they've been very vocal about their staffing issues. But Phoenix Fire takes a different route with with the way they handle things. For them to come out publicly, and I want to be very clear – that uh, PJ did was not he he made sure to say we're not blaming anyone. This isn't about blame, but people need to know the circumstances. That and he was right when you talk about what we do. We want parks and we want golf courses and we want these other city services. We want libraries. I get that. I really do. But we don't have enough fire stations. We don't have enough cops. They're getting ready to redistrict all of the precincts for police officers in the city of Phoenix. They don't have enough cops to cover it. They don't have enough cops to do the investigations. The only way this gets sorted out is if you and I, and I don't care what political party you're from or no political party, the independent voters, unless we say the priority has to be public safety if you say it. That doesn't mean that the other stuff isn't important. It doesn't mean that other agencies and other parts of the city aren't as important. But when you see this kind of rise in violent crimes, when you've got a nine-minute response time, the citizens of Phoenix deserve better than that. And the only way they get it is by letting city management understand, city council, city manager, making them understand that we really want this to be the priority. Fully fund the Phoenix Fire Department. Fully fund the Phoenix Police Department. Give them the tools, give them the equipment, and give them the labor force they need to effectively do their jobs. First and foremost, everything else should flow from that. If we send that message, as voters, we will get the results we want. So there's a way for you to be supportive, and it's supportive of the neighborhoods you want, the city that we want. You know, I think there's a lot of important things that have to happen in Phoenix, but this should be fully funded first, period. I don't think there should be a political battle about that. Just after 11 o'clock, we're going to go shift to the economy. Amazon is increasing prices. Profits are down in corporations like Target. What does it mean to you? Next.